A duck one time, a duck went to a feed store, walked into the feed store, talked to the clerk and said, do you have any duck food? The clerk said, no, sir, we do not have any duck food. The next day, the duck came in again and said, do you have any duck food? The clerk said, no, we still don't have any duck food, not much of a market for that. Day three, the duck came back. Do you have any duck food? The clerk said, we have never had duck food. We do not presently have duck food. We will never have duck food. And if you ever come in here again asking for duck food, I will nail your feet to the floor. Wow. Next day rolled around. The duck came waddling into the feed store. And the duck looked at the clerk and said, Sir, do you have any nails? The clerk said, No, I do not. The duck said, Have any duck food? <laughs> that, is the, that is the story of the persistent duck. Interesting stories, engaging stories. I always have a surprise or two. Generally, the really great ones have a surprise or two at the ending of the story. Something that really catches you by surprise. Something you did not see coming. How many of you guys remember the movie with Paul Newman and Robert Redford, The Sting? Anybody remember that movie? Great movie. Yeah, great movie. I remember that one, what, that one when I was a kid, and I remember the end of that movie. I was thinking, what just happened? What just happened? They are these professional con men in the movie, their characters, and they have decided that they are going to fleece a mob boss for all he's worth. And then in the climactic final scene of the movie, they realize that they have both betrayed one another and they shoot each other dead. And then you find out, no, they didn't. It was all part of the plan, and it really takes you by surprise. Or maybe it is that amazing plot turn that took everybody by surprise in The Empire Strikes Back. Luke Skywalker and the evil enemy Darth Vader are fighting it out, locked in mortal combat, when at that amazing moment, Darth Vader tells Luke, Luke, I am your father. And Luke is dumbfound and speechless. And you sit there in the theater, really? I didn't see this coming. Or maybe it is one of the greatest surprise endings of all time, the Planet of the Apes, not Mark Wahlberg recently, but the original Planet of the Apes movie with Charlton Heston. He is the gruff astronaut who crash lands on this strange planet. And what's really weird about this place is that the apes have evolved to the point where they have, they have the power of speech. But the real surprise comes at the end of the movie as this movie explores, explores the exploitation and the sins of humanity. At the end of the movie, the astronaut Charlton Heston realizes he's been on planet Earth all the time, a post-apocalyptic planet Earth. Thousands of years later, this sort of time warp as he sees, remember on the beach, the half-buried Statue of Liberty. It is a great ending in planet Earth 
of the apes. Talented storytellers do this. They, they take us one direction, and then they suddenly veer in another direction we didn't see coming. And one of the things that made Jesus such a compelling storyteller, and that's what he was, I mean, the basis of his preaching was the telling of stories. One of the things that made him so powerful was his ability to do this, to take a group of people along with him through this mundane story about wheat or about fishing, and then bam, he nailed them at the end. So today's story comes from Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a story. Jesus told his disciples a parable about to show them that they should always pray and never give up. So Rabbi Jesus gathers his disciples. I'm going to tell you this story about how you're supposed to, to keep on praying, be persistent, and never give up. He tells them the story, and in the story, the protagonist is this widow, right? Now, for us, a widow might be wealthy, might be powerful, might be successful, might be famous. You know, Yoko Ono, Priscilla Presley, Nancy Reagan, I don't know. Uh, it could be any of those things. But to the audience Jesus was speaking to, widow was a stand-in, was, was symbolic for poverty, for misery, for vulnerability, the personification of what it meant to be fragile. In the first century, widows lived in this basic state of dependency on the kindness of others. If he was telling the story today, Jesus might talk to us about an old homeless woman dressed in rags, pushing around her few worldly possessions in a shopping cart in downtown Dallas, right? That is the image of a widow that the audience would have seen and experienced when he talked about this widow in Luke chapter 18. So she's down and out. And the plot thickens as we find out that not only is, is she vulnerable and weak and dependent on others, but this widow has an enemy. There is someone out to get here, get her. We don't know much about this adversary. We don't know why he wants to hurt her. We don't know what he is doing to exploit her. We don't know how this individual is taking advantage, advantage of her, intimidating her, or threatening her, but we know that there is some scoundrel who is out to get her, and she does not know where to turn. Perhaps if she had had some sons, they might stand up for her. Perhaps if she had connections, she might be able to call in a favor or two and get someone to help her out in this situation. Perhaps if she had received a large inheritance, which widows did not receive any inheritance back in those days, if she had received a large inheritance or had that, however, she might have been able to A, Hire one of the best attorneys to defend her interest in court, or B, grease the wheels of justice, bribe the judge, and get her judgment. But she didn't have these options. She didn't. She was basically on her own. So the one thing that she comes up with, the only thing she can think of to do 
is to go and petition the judge, perhaps with the judge's sense of justice, perhaps out of the kindness of his heart for her situation, the judge will do something for her, will defend her cause. But Jesus then rips the rug out from under any notions that this guy will do any of that by telling us in verse 2 that the judge, quote, neither feared God nor cared about people. The judge did not fear God, did not care about people. So if the widow's only option is to go before this guy and try to get justice from him, it is a, a complete long shot. For starters, the judge didn't fear God. This is, this is kind of what's, what's, what's wired into, what's burned into that idea of the judge not fearing God. Didn't really have an innate sense of right and wrong. Didn't fear. Some people, you know, the only reason they do what's right is they're afraid of going to hell. Or they're afraid of some, of some spiritual forces at work that will, will, will punish them. Or some sort of karma that will end up catching up with them. And that's, why, that's the only reason some people choose to do the right thing. Well, this guy doesn't have any of those sort of mechanisms in place to cause him to do what is right. Um, he's kind of his own God, has no fear whatsoever uh, of eternal judgment or eternal things or God. To further complicate things for the old widow, doesn't care about people. This guy doesn't care about people. I mean, unless they show up in his courtroom with something to offer, unless they show up with an envelope stuffed with cash, or unless they show up in a position of power where they might be able to do something for him, unless the person in front of him can make it worth his while, he doesn't care. The petitioner is, is a nuisance, an annoyance, a headache. Get out of here. So this is the judge we have. God had no sway over his conscience, didn't care, wasn't touched by the needs of others, simply was a judge who used his position to pursue his own interests and to make sure that his own whims and, and uh, needs were met through the use of his position. As we've already seen, this old woman, this old woman does not have any other options, and so Jesus says that she goes before the judge and she asks the judge to grant her justice. Please protect me from the scoundrel who is making my life a nightmare. The judge's response to her, he sneers at her and he says to her, so sorry, you must have me confused with someone who cares. I don't care. I don't care. Get out of my courtroom. So she walks out of the courtroom with her head sagging. She is disappointed. This guy is the only one who can do anything about her situation. And this is where things get interesting. Since she sees no other options in front of her, she develops a strategy. And this is it. She refuses to accept his answer. She will continue to ask until he hears her case, until he grants her justice. Basically, her strategy is to nag, right? To nag. 
to bother him. Nag, 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 nag. <laughs> Verbal waterboarding. The Rand Paul of the first century, she is going to filibuster this judge until he's had enough. Okay. I give in. You win. When he leaves his house in the morning with his jogging suit on, she will be there at the front desk. Hear my case. Grant me justice. When he gets dressed and showered and goes to the office, she's in the waiting room. I don't have any space today. I don't have any time. I can't. Don't, I'll just wait. Maybe something will come available. I'm here. Hear my case. When he takes his family. Okay, I'm embellishing this a little bit. But when he takes his family out to Red Lobster, she walks up to the table. Can your daddy do something to help me? I really need his help. Everywhere he goes, walking the dog, cruising down the sidewalk, she's there. And she's asking over and over and over again. She is the persistent widow. Remember, this judge is not interested in pleasing God. He doesn't fear God, not interested in the needs of other people. But she figures, if I can make myself enough of a nuisance, suddenly it becomes in his interest to resolve my case so that he can finally be rid of me. I don't know if you've ever tried this approach before. Maybe you have. I remember when I was eight, nine years old, mom, dad, if you're watching this morning, I have no doubt that you will remember this. The Atari 2600 Boom, was born. Remember, we went from Pong, right? Ding, 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 to being able to play like arcade type of games in your home. I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know what the latest, greatest video game console is today, but I can tell you the one that started it all was the Atari 2600. And I determined that my life would be complete in every way if I had this video game system and I did not have money. I was not, I had no chance of coming up with that much money. And so my only chance was to convince my parents to give me this for Christmas. And mom and dad, you remember the avalanche of marketing I launched telling you about all of the benefits of the Atari 2600, telling you how it would make me happy. And oftentimes, all I did was walk past mom or dad for several months and say, Atari. And on Christmas Day, I had my Atari 2600. And months, and, and let me tell you this, if you're thinking, was it worth it? Yes. <laughs> it was splendid. It was incredible. <laughs> And a couple of months after Christmas, at one point, my mom told me, you know how you kept talking to us about that Atari? You didn't really need to do that. We knew that you wanted it. We bought it several months before Christmas. Deal. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry, Dad. Anyway, the widow's nag campaign worked. 
The judge acquiesced, gave in to her constant whining. Okay, he said, justice granted, now leave me alone. Court officials are instructed to make sure that everything she wants is taken care of so that he will never, ever see her in his courtroom or standing in front of his house ever again. Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, verses 4 and 5, this is from the New Living Translation. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. That's the parable. And the disciples who've been listening to this, remember to pray and to not give up. The disciples are thinking, aha, message received. I mean, we heard Jesus tell a story a few chapters back in the book of Luke about the prodigal son. The prodigal son is like us, desperately sinful, finally coming to his senses, returning home. The father in that story is the father. So, aha, this story is about us and it's about God right? I get it. I mean, I'm not flattered by this, but I'm like the widow. I have nothing. I'm weak. I'm poor. I, I, I don't have anything to offer God. I'm a nobody to God. I'm like the widow. And God is like the judge. I mean, not unjust like the judge, but like the judge as far as God has a lot of really important things going on. I mean, there are four, five, six billion people around that he's got to take care of, that he's listening to. There's a universe to keep spending, spinning, spending as well, I guess, here in America. Perhaps the Hurley Gates got a little squeaky and he needs to go put some WD-4. Anyway, God has a lot of stuff going on, and I get it. I'm not at the top of the list. Message received. I'm that poor, powerless person, and God holds all the cards. And he's not unjust like the judge in the story, but I get it. He's busy, has important things to do. And for me to get noticed, I mean, I'm going to have to do something extraordinary to get noticed, right? I mean, I'm going to have to pray beautiful prayers, um, articulate beautifully and spiritually my thoughts, or I'm going to need to do something super religious that kind of grabs his attention, or I'm just going to need to repeat the same prayer over and over and over again like dripping water until he finally wears out and gives in to my request. Persistent widow, pray and not give up. Does this sound a little off? To you. Does this sound a little strange to you? It should. It should. Right as the disciples think they have this figured out, Jesus puts a sudden plot twist in. Listen to verses 6 to 8. 
Then the Lord Jesus said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he, those are words to circle there in your mind, even that guy, even that unjust judge rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people, not a nobody, not some blip on his radar screen, but a chosen person that Jesus is going to tell us and Paul is going to tell us, or Paul rather is going to tell us we've been adopted as children to God. Isn't he surely going to give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. When the Son of Man returns, how many will, be found, will he find on earth who have faith? It's kind of funny what Jesus does. Essentially, he says, do you remember the story I just told you? Well, God is not like that judge. And you are not like that widow. God is not uncaring. God is not unjust. And you are not a nobody to God. You are chosen. You are precious. You're his child. And as Jesus modeled earlier for us, when his disciples said, teach us how to pray, everyone on planet earth remembers how he began his prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father, our Dad, our Abba who art in heaven. And then in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, he says, no offense, guys, but you're not the greatest dads around. You're not the greatest fathers around. But even you, if your son asks for a piece of fish, you're not going to hand him a snake. <laughs> Again, God is a perfect wonderful father. We may not be, he is. And we don't approach God as an unfamiliar plaintiff, making our case, arguing our cause, but we approach him as sons and daughters, cherished and loved. And when you know how loving God is, and when you know how precious you are to him, then you pray with more freedom. You pray with more confidence. You pray with more trust because you know that he's listening to every word you pray. And you can begin to pray with faith, allowing God in his wisdom and in his power and in his love for you, allowing him to answer your prayers in the ways that he sees best. So the surprise ending the twist in the parable of the persistent widow is that we tend to think that God must have better things to do than to think about us, than to hear about our rebellious child or hear about our problem with too much spending and too little income, than to hear about our problem with our neighbors, than to hear about our problem with cancer 
We tend to think God is too busy. We tend to think that we need to do something extravagant and hyper-religious to get his attention. But it's not like that. God loves us. God knows every detail of what's going on in your life. Jesus says, God even has an exact count on the number of hairs on top of your head. So do you need a good plot twist this morning? Is there something about the script, the screenplay that you're living out that simply cannot continue as it is? Is there a change needed? 